Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. With your host, Dapper Data. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? You're listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. I am your host, Dapper Data. Today, we're going to talk about the mind. We're going to get deep into the mind, right? We're going to understand how the mind works, how it's related to data, data visualization. Okay, we're going to tie all of those things. All right, psychology knowledge helps to create the design which will make users perform the actions they're expected to, to do, right? Such as making purchases or contacting the team, whatever it is, whatever action you have, right? Sometimes a design can influence that action. And it's important to understand how that works. Okay, so we're going to talk about design psychology. We're going to talk about data visualization. We're going to dive into both of those things. And as you know, I like to bring a special guest on because I don't know everything. Right. I don't know, I don't know anything really, but but I, but I learned no, from my guests. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't I know enough to be dangerous and everything, right? And I'm gaining from every every guest that's here, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> I brought on a special guest, right? It's Davis Thomas Watkins, man. Say what's up, Thomas. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, yeah. No, thank you Good for being on, on the podcast. Be on. Thank you for being on. So this guy, Thomas, man, he is really focused in on design design psychology. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But first, I want to let you know who this guy is, right? Thomas Watkins is a thought leader, speaker, and industry practitioner located in Houston, Texas. Okay, I'm sure they got some good food out there. He is a lifelong learner who has a passion for bringing greater clarity to the world. Uh, Thomas has made it his career focus to combine technology with design psychology, and we'll talk a lot about that. So, Thomas, tell him a little bit about yourself, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So as you heard in the introduction, I am a design psychologist. What I do is, and what people in my position, you might have heard UX for the listeners out there, people who build digital products and they are working on technology. What you are, if you're doing it right, I would say, is you're a design psychologist, which means that you're designing things with how do people work? in mind when you're designing it so that it's going to fit into into their life and really and really become invisible as people are trying to do the things that they need to do yeah yeah no i i like that i like that you mentioned the word invisible right you know because you know you're almost funneling through the mind right and and I mean, some people may call it manipulation, right? <laughs> you know, I, I don't like to call it that, you know, in a sense, because, you know, somebody might get upset depending on who it is. But when I think about design psychology, right, I think about a book, I know we've discussed a book called The Nudge Theory, right? Now, The Nudge Theory, right, it talked about things like um, the reason why small plates are created, right, for an individual, right, when you're eating, is so that they want to promote healthier eating right? or smaller eating, right? you know, because a lot of people go and they just go above and beyond and eat way more than they should. Or if you're in an office space, then there's one trash can and you have about 10 people around it, right? Well, they want to promote you getting up and actually walking to the trash can instead of, you know, it being a trash can at everybody's desk. So you'll never get up, right? You can just throw the trash away there or at a bar at a restaurant, right? We talked about a restaurant that 
that that I work with a lot and own and and look at looking at that right when you're at a restaurant, you know you have the 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 real popular drinks at eye level right the, of the of the bar because you want everybody to really say hey what's that you know you want to taste it and things like that you know so it's you know and I'm sure that we can talk a lot about how there is a quote unquote manipulation, right? Or design psychology in a sense, you know, with technology. I mean, the, the web design, websites, you know, data visualization, right? You know, but, you know, just stepping back, right? You are you are owner of a company called Three Leaf, right? And so when we talk about Three Leaf, I did a little bit of research on it, right? Three Leaf, it says a design collective that employs applied psychology and design principles to support the creation of usable products and services, right? Right. You know, is like tell us a little bit about Three Leaf. Yes. Yeah, so Three Leaf is we're a consulting practice, but what we do is, you know, with our clients, they're people who are building digital products, and they say we want our product to be successful. We have this user base of users who have to use our products. And what they're trying to achieve is make their product successful. What they need folks like us for is we understand how users are. It's kind of like, you remember in the matrix, how the Oracle is able to achieve things that the architect cannot achieve is because yeah. <laughs> she, she understands how people actually are. And she's like, well, no architect, you can't just, you can't just build the matrix and just do what you want. You have to, you have to give people choice. And then there's this whole thing like oh, right. they have that and that way the matrix won't fail. And then they kind of have this partnership. And so, um, uh, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Kind of an interesting analogy there, but like, so, you know, what you're doing is you're saying, okay, um, now hopefully there's some level of altruism in there and depending on mm -hmm. what kind of product you're working on. So if you're doing a social service, make it easier for people to sign up for, you know, healthcare on uh, a website or something like that. But it's really just adapting to how do people work? How do people want to do operate? And how do you make a technology to fit into that? So one way to look at this is taking a step back. We're in an information age and we interface with technology all the time. There's computing databases and there's a whole, you know, like if you might imagine like if like aliens were to visit the planet, they might conclude that, well, there's these creatures running around like there's, you know, humans, there's animals and things like that. But then there's this digital side to things that exists and is wirelessly right. sending information everywhere, right? So to our kind of existence, we're interfacing with that stuff constantly. So every time we order something and we, we're touching a screen, we're dealing with an interface with that digital side of the world. So when you, um, mm -hmm. you're ordering from a restaurant or if you punch in um, a, a uh, address to so the GPS can take you to the location or anything that you're doing, you're interfacing constantly with digital the digital aspect of human life. And that digital presence is only growing and growing and growing and growing. So as we get, everything's more integrated, everything is more instant, everything is faster. How do we make mm -hmm. sure that as we're interfacing with the digital aspect of our reality, that it's as seamless as possible. So we're not getting in people's ways. So people aren't getting annoyed by the technology itself. They're able to look past the technology through to their actual goals like the technology is not there. The technology just mm -hmm. then becomes this invisible helper behind the scenes. And the way to achieve that 
is you want to have an understanding of human psychology. So the, the human is the center of their this experience. And anytime right. technology is there, it's for the most part kind of invisible, right? Not literally invisible. You can see screens and things like that. But it's it's not interrupting their life. It's not it's not getting in the yeah. way. It's not forcing itself into your attention. Instead, it's just this facilitator of human life. Yeah, no, no, I I, I hear you, man. I hear you, and I'm, I definitely thank you for breaking that down. And so when you when you go through the process, say with a client, right, with 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 three leads, are you understanding the way that their audience or their consumer thanks right is that a, a very important part of that process? very important critical critical so in our industry we've got uh, something called a persona and uh -huh. a persona you, you probably heard of it listeners have probably heard of it what's your understanding of a persona right well uh, good question right because when i think about it right i mean i hear it all the time in marketing right they're like what's your avatar right who does this person you know, everything from if you're selling something, you know, who is your actual real target audience, right? What is their, do they, do they enjoy, you know, uh, uh, shoot, do they enjoy long weeks, walks on the beach, right? Or something like that, right? You're getting, you're getting real right. detailed about it, right? Are they married? Are they single, right? right? Are they, what ethnicity are they? Are they, what gender are they, you know? It's like, is, is that what you mean by when you say the persona? It's, it's yeah, yes, yes. So it's kind of like that. Um, the kind of persona that most people have been exposed to is like buyer personas. So that mm. is going to be very like um, often demographic or uh, oriented yeah. where you're saying, we've got a product we want to sell. How do we target this to people who might be interested and who might buy the product? What we mm -hmm. do is it's still personas, but it's something called a user persona where the person using this, what goals are they trying to achieve? And you develop more of like a psychological profile, a behavioral profile to, to about this person. So you know some things about what does this person know? What are their skills? What are their goals? Not just what would they say their goals are, what would their job uh, description say their goals are, but what do they really want to achieve? What makes them tick? And when you know these things and you are able to illustrate it in some type of way, maybe a document of some sort or a company might say might have personas and you maybe make a poster out of it and put it on the wall and it becomes part of the company culture where they say we're uh, designing this pro app for Sam the salesman. And mm -hmm. this is the thing that they're trying to achieve. And then quotes oh. from people who <laughs> represent Sam. And then everyone is able to fix their mind on we're solving this problem for X, this persona. And it makes it a lot easier to make design decisions, to think about what should be the direction that we go in and to fill that gap of, you know, where are we with our technology and how do we close the gap of making this as seamless as possible for our users? Man, that's interesting because I never thought about, I've always been thinking about buyer persona, right? You know, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm like, part of the 90% that thinks that way, you know, or more, right? Because, you know, we always have this product, right? You're building businesses, you know, our culture, right? not even just our culture, but in the world right now, the society today are just saying, hey, look, start your own business, right? Everybody has their own business stuff, but what they're looking for is that buyer persona, right? When they're, when they're going through things, but there's a difference. And I never understood the difference until you broke it down, 
right? It has a little bit of the buyer persona in there, but it still has its own unique aspect, you know, and I didn't, right. I didn't realize. Right. And then plus we also live in the age of buying and selling of data. And then that becomes a big thing of, of like, uh, you know, Facebook can sell companies data and that right. company is better able to make targeted ads and things like that because they know something about the, um, about that as, as a, as a persona. And then, so more and more, usually those buyer personas, they're in the marketing departments and they're like, okay, who are we going to sell this to? And then the personas, like the kind of user personas, they mm -hmm. are often on like the product team who's building the software. Now, oftentimes there's a heavily, heavy overlap, right? It might mm -hmm. be a product that it's like on the app store and like seeing about it and using it is like, like really close together versus some uh, companies build enterprise software and the buyer might be someone who is a high ranking executive who writes a check for an annual subscription where the users might be um, employees who by the hundreds or thousands have to use a certain software application. And they're very different in that case from the, from the buyer. Right. So it's always important to be really, really grounded because what we do is uh, user-centered design. Yeah, that's, that's the term for it, UCD, mm. user-centered design. And it's the, um, really this started, it's, it's uh, what's known as UX today, that the history of it, 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 it comes from human factors. Human factors is the field of, you're engineering things with the human in mind. And this came from uh, right around World War II. It was discovered that you know, the previous mentality was like, you have to use these machines, whether they're airplanes, submarines, and stuff like that. You, the human, have to adapt to the machine, right? Mm -hmm. And this is part of just the, you know, the hierarchical authority structure of also the military is like, you do as you're told, you're, you know, you know, whether you're working at a factory or you're working in the military, that's kind of the mentality. Well, after enough planes crash or enough accidents at the factories happen, you start realizing, okay, we need to make this so that it's centered around how do humans want to do things. So if you're designing an airplane cockpit, or you know the console of a submarine, the positioning of the buttons, the locations of things, how easily you know this when you move, you know it's adapted to your hands. So ergonomics is one that's a little bit more familiar to folks. Is you know ergonomic scissors um, have the grips mm -hmm. for the fingers, or ergonomic chair is made uh, with knowledge of how your back is aligned and stuff like that. And what we do is it's the same concept as ergonomics, but it's taking mm -hmm. psychology. So if you think of mm. things like uh, memory, uh, working memory span, how many um, pieces of information can a person hold in their mind as they're making decisions? How will people notice things on a screen? Um, how will people, uh, you know, a forgetting curve, you know, you remember things for some months and then you, then it right, off. Right. Um, all of these aspects of, you know, attention, motivation, um, all these psychological attributes, when you, when you're aware of these kinds of phenomenon and you're bringing that to the design process, you're able to achieve a lot more as a designer. Yeah, I never, I never noticed how important that aspect is because, you know, I'm one who would just create something, right? Just put it out there. It's all good, you know, but, but you're not even thinking about your end user, right? You're not thinking about that the end user thinks a certain way, right? And you you mentioned something that actually caught my attention. Well, all of it did, but but one thing that you mentioned was, um, I forgot the word you used, 
But I guess to sum it up, basically the attention span that somebody may have for a specific, look, think about a website or think about a video, right? You're putting this video out, right? You know, and the average attention span of a, a human or versus a kid versus a person between certain ages versus a person that actually does one craft versus another, right? You know, all that stuff matters, that attention span, like, you know, why would I make a video that's like, two hours long, right? Knowing that my audience attention span is kids or something, you know? <laughs> you, you probably use this knowledge more often than you think. You, you, you probably uh -huh. actually do utilize it in, in your day-to-day -day uh -huh. work with, when you're catering to people, but you might not be specializing it in, in the way we do. But if uh, like the example that you just gave, like if, you, if someone was a videographer, uh -huh. they might know that you know, if you have this clip or this scene for too long, it's going to get boring. So you've got to change, put this in or right, you know, while the right. person's talking, switch to the B-roll and make it looking. And, and, and people right. become aware when they're catering to audiences, like the, the loosely the tendencies mm -hmm. of the, the audience and the viewers. Um, what they're probably not doing is like diving deep head on into it as like a science, like deep into the right. psychology of right. like studying right. the heck out of it and saying like, okay, I'm going to, craft this so that it's taking into account all those factors. Right. And I would say, I guess, understanding the why, right? Mm -hmm. We do it. We do it. Uh, like you said, we probably do it more often than not, but we just do it because either everybody's doing it or we just really just, we're just moving fast. Right. But there's a reason why we do some of the things we do and we don't sit back or shoot. I mean, like you said, the videographer, right? You know, I'm sitting there, I was taking photo shoots for my, for my business. I'm doing the videography and all that stuff. And they're doing B-roll shots and everything. They just say, yeah, we're going to do B-roll shots here. I never said why, right? <laughs> I'm just doing it. I'm just living in the moment, right? Okay, great, great, great. It never crossed my mind that there's a reason why they transition from here to here to here and stuff to keep people's attention is one of the reasons why, right? Because the human mind only has a short attention, a certain amount of, uh, uh, of minutes or whatever that are dedicated to this one thing, right? The average person, maybe, you know. That's right. That's, that's, that's right. And then to, and a layer on top of that is um, when we're talking about like designing digital products, what, what we do um, uh, is that you are often designing something where people won't see exactly that. You're, you're, so oh. if I make a mock-up of a screen, that screen is not gonna exactly be seen the way I've got it drawn and I think this is a digital product that's going to give a person their own unique data and their own experience. So then you have to you have to be a little bit more meta about it of like, okay, we're just kind of like uh, data, data visualization. So let's take, um, let's use this as an example. If you compare um, in data visualization, uh, you've got a data set and mm -hmm. it needs to be presented presenting a specific data set for a specific slideshow for a specific audience, that's different than designing, well, this type of data with these columns needs to be presented to this kind of job role and they need to make X, Y, and Z decisions with it. And one of them, you know the exact data that there is. So you have the ability to highlight what's important in that data and design for that specifically. In the other one, you have to have like a little bit of a better knowledge of like, what does, you know, uh, what do people need to attend to? What's the nature of this data? What's the normal range? You know, if I make this graph, is it always gonna be like, the graphs are always full or always empty because in reality, 
that's the nature of the data and you have to take that into yeah. account. So, yeah. So anyway, I think it's all about taking into account the full breadth of things. And we don't always think about in psychology, how that is a major factor in the things that we build. No, you're, 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 uh, you're making a great point, you know, and speaking of design, speaking of data visualization, right? I mean, the more we just talked about what you're doing at 3D, right, you know, and design psychology in general, you know, we, un for those who already know what data visualization is, right, they, they start to understand how important it is, right? Somebody that's a newbie that's getting in, that's getting into data visualization, they may just say, look, these, these charts and graphs, you know, I just got to present charts and graphs using Tableau, right, using BI, right, it's all good, right, I'm, I got this data set, I'm just going to dump it in there and it creates these charts and graphs, great colors and all that stuff like that. They're not even thinking that that stuff matters, right? A graphical format matters, right? You know, and 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 so you're bringing up some great points, right? Uh, when you're looking at visualization and data for like presentations, how important it is, is it to apply design psychology to that? It's critically important. And it's not applied often enough. And people who are in this kind of design psychology profession and usability, they don't go very often into data visualization. And when I go to data visualization conferences, I see mostly business people, people who come out of maybe math, a lot of engineers who know how to like operate with the actual data sets and, and, um, mm -hmm. and render them, right? Because a lot of times the challenge is seen as, I've got data, can I render it on a screen? And then the different ways of rendering it in interesting ways becomes the main challenge that everybody's trying to solve. The problem that people are not focused probably enough on is how do we present data so that people gain insights, insights from the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've even, uh, it's, it's even been argued before, I think uh, Stephen Few, um, author of a bunch of um, important data, data visualization books. Um, uh, I think it is him who has argued that we think we live in an information age, but it's actually more of a data age because we're not making enough clarity of the of it for it to be real information. And so, um, and and so, when you think about that, um, every aspect of life, regardless to the job role, you know, I don't care what how simple you think your job role might be, you have data that's critical to you operating effectively. Um, and I tell so, people all the time, man. I mean, I'm glad somebody. <laughs> I, I I I tell people all the time that the role they play at work, right? When you're sitting there, it doesn't matter what you're doing, right? You could be a restaurant owner, you can be in pharmacy, right? School. Well, it doesn't matter what you're doing, right? Driver, School right. teacher, yeah. you're using data to make decisions all Absolutely. the time. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry and about even, that. <laughs> and, and, and even further, anybody, I believe any job role could have a dashboard that's meaningful to them. Oh, any man. Job role. I believe any, any job role. I can't think of a single job role where you couldn't possibly imagine a dashboard that would be ideal for them, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're let's say a bus driver, let's say there was a wow. dashboard about today's traffic and the likelihood of, you know, maybe different routes or uh, uh -huh. people, there's, there's something you can imagine because it's the data that people need in order to make decisions. Because mm -hmm. that's what we do through life. We, we size up our surroundings and we try to make the best decision.
And with technology, what we hope we can do is leverage the technology so that we can gather the data. And, and that's a little bit too romanticized, I think. Um, that might be, that might be um, uh, you know, possibly for the, saved for the uh, overrated, underrated, overrated, big data, <laughs> underrated right. um, data insights, maybe something like that, right? But, um, <laughs> so, uh, so we gather the data and collect and collect and collect. How do we mm -hmm. present it to people, not just do data art or show it in a way that is pleasant or nice looking, but how do you deliver this stuff to where it's actually giving people insights? And you know how you do it. When, when, um, when I design a dashboard, the, the test that I give is not show the dashboard and say, hey, what do you think? Show the dashboard and to someone who, whose job role or, or it's, it's relevant, it's the type of data that would be relevant to that person and watch what they start doing. If they say like, oh, it looks nicer, they, they start giving superficial feedback, that's one type of response. But if they start reading it and responding to it as if it's you know actually data, oftentimes that's a good sign because they just that's start using sign. it. it, it, it yeah. it's, they just start instantly reading it. They're like, well, that shouldn't be that high. You know, this this should be at this level. I don't know what oh. is going on. And, and, and then that's when I, when I start hearing that, I'm like, yes. That means I, they understand. That's right. Well, they understand it so well, it's invisible, right? Yeah. Because ah, they're, they're, right, they're looking right. past the physical features of the dashboard. They're not saying, oh, I like the colors. And then they're saying like, well, I don't know why, but, you know, you're showing it to a school teacher. It's like, well, I don't know this person's scores are so, um, you know, uh, low, but they're going to all the classes, their attendance scores, that's not lining up. It's because they're expecting a correlation and then there isn't one or, you know, or, you know, they're looking for outliers. They're looking for stories being told in the data. So when we can do more data storytelling and, and mm -hmm. do more, you know, supporting people's insights, and this requires investing time in understanding the psychology of yeah. people in general, but then also in the specific persona that you're catering to, interviewing them, talking to them, sitting next to them while they're doing their work, kind of getting into their world and seeing what makes them tick. Man, like you, man, you just spit so much knowledge, right? I hope you're hearing this audience. This is amazing, right? This is we're we're entering something right here. We're entering the brain, man. That that human psychology, the understanding the brain and the way it works, and applying it to uh, the end result, right? Of it, you can apply that to not just data visualization, but the entire aspect of data science, right? You know, when you're think, you're asking those questions, right? Understanding how the, the the organization works right asking the right questions to get the answer out of them you know they need to i mean i i talk to ceos all the time right and one of, i'll give a perfect example of a ceo i talk about this i've talked about it probably in about one or two episodes before but I, I, it was a ceo one time that i sat down with and i presented to him everything except for the visualization piece right and I was presenting the Excel spreadsheet, right? I'm like, I did this in Python, all this stuff. He's like, I do not care. <laughs> what do you, <laughs> the end result is, is what matter, right? You know, the, the, the data visualization piece, he wants the charts and graphs, right? You know, and that goes back to tell me that, that goes back to show that everybody at a certain level, right? Within their organization needs that dashboard, like you mentioned, right? You know, they need that, that visualization piece, right? You know. I understand 
charts and graphs better than I understand Excel spreadsheet with a bunch of rows and columns and numbers and things like that, right? And then I can make a decision based off of this chart and graph faster than I can make a decision based off of something I really don't understand, you know? And so you're bringing up some great points there. You know? That's right. And, and one way to think about, there's a couple of ways to think about uh, data visualization, because I know your your audience, this audience is very familiar with data and statistics. Mm -hmm. That's it's kind of probably a mix. But one way yeah. to think about this is signal detection theory, not to get too deep in it, but signal mm -hmm. detection theory, you're dealing with the question of, you've got stuff that you see. Imagine you're looking at a radar visual, right? And you've got dots everywhere, uh, period. You've got dots everywhere. Some of that is the signal. Some of it is the noise. Mm -hmm. So in data visualization, we're trying to increase the signal and reduce the noise. Reduce the noise of the data being presented. That's right. right? That's yeah. Right. That's right. Because if you were to look just straight at the data tables, right, it would be like uh -huh. Almost all noise because you have mm -hmm. to like really look around for the signal, and most of what you're seeing is not relevant. That's why you have just yeah. basic graphs even exist because you're like, okay, look at the these dots or look at the lengths of these lines, and you're able to perceive that. Mm -hmm. Whereas it's it's harder to just pick up the idea of trends when you're just looking at tables. So, um, you know, as a simple example, time series data. Um, time and period, yeah. usually time series data is represented with, uh, what type of, uh, chart? You oh, uh, yeah, yeah. When people hear time series, that we only make, made this point is people think time series is a type of chart. It's that type of data. Um, but I think about time series. I think about the, the, the actual algorithm, right. Uh, being oh. utilized. I think about time series. When I think about uh, uh, time series, I think about looking at, I mean, and, and maybe there is a, I didn't think about it from a visualization standpoint at all, right? I've always thought about over time capturing data, right, to be able to show it, you know, but it's more of a statistical point of view thing, right? You know, is that right. is that what you're doing as well? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, like, normally when you're looking at time series data, well, I guess that, no point in me wrong here, but I've already got the pen in my hand, so I'll just wrong. Um, uh, you're looking for trends that doesn't really show up. It's green. I don't worry about it. The sun's shining. But um, so uh, for the listeners, I'm, I'm drawing on the board. It didn't work out. Uh, so you are interested in the trend of the data. So if you depict all these different points as one continuous line, for example, it's easy for the human eye to instantly perceive that as a shape that has a trend and it's, and it's easier to understand that that's the core of data visualization the lengths of lines the positions of dots the shape of lines when you're taking those kinds of elements you're catering to stuff that you're you get for free because you have a sensory perceptual cognitive system where all of that stuff happens instantly so you're constantly taking in stimuli into your eyes and you're able to get a certain amount of that automatically. So as data visualizationists, we say, okay, well, we're going to take this huge data set. We're going to depict it in a way that it caters to the human eye, optical, and brain structure to where you get a certain amount of it automatically just from looking at it. So then 
we, we take that to a more extreme stance and we say like, okay, now that we've got basic graphs, charts and that stuff that exists, how do we crank up the signal and temper down the noise? And so, yeah. um, and there's a lot of implications uh, to that, right? So that's, um, that's against the goals of maybe data art, right? If, if someone is kind of in the business of like, well, I make graphs look really beautiful and I decorate them and they do that. Well, oftentimes they're adding noise for the sake of entertainment. And then that's mm -hmm. not the goal you want to achieve with data visualization. You want to increase the signal, reduce the noise so that the person is perceiving that can get their insights as clear as possible. Yeah, and, what, and I guess so ultimately what you're doing is making it easier for those decision makers, right? To see and understand the trends, right? The outliers, the patterns, right? Over time, like you mentioned, right? You know, uh, all that stuff in the data, you're able to to see those trends over time. And that's the decision maker wants to see that, right? You know, over a series of time, right? If you were mentioning time series, you know, or if it's like maps and charts probably were among the earliest forms of data visualization, right? you know, and, and I'm seeing the way that you're able to really make a difference when it comes down to that. That's right, you know? that's right. So hopefully we're making the world a better place by making these insights easier to see. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. And the way I look at data visualization, man, it's probably only successful to the degree that it encodes the information in the manner that our eyes can discern it, right? You know, that's and right. our brains can understand it, right? Yeah. That's right. That's the only that's right. way that I see data visualization, you know, and it's, it's crazy. I really didn't see it like that until I would say that CEO told me that they want to see that part, right? They don't want to see all the noise. The noise is not helping them at all, right? Make that decision, right? You know. And then people give up on data visualization in general. I've I've heard people say because they didn't get the right ones. I've heard uh, executives say, "Well, you know what? We're not going to do dashboards anymore. They're really not. Uh, they really don't work that well. We need to focus on ML and algorithms and stuff like that." Well, yeah, that's wonderful. We need the ML and the algorithms, but let's not give up so fast on the basic just present data to people yeah, the presentation, i'll be completely honest thomas like i when i first started out right i saw the different stages throughout what i call data science as a whole right but i just transformation of data as you ingest it i'm like, okay you know i get the ingestion right different sources blah blah you know you got database you got unstructured structured data you're ingesting all the data in, right? That's cool, right? I'm like, okay, I got that. I've been doing that for years, ingesting it to somewhere. Uh, then I got part, I got really interested in data mining portion, right? I was like, man, you know, the the, the merging of it, right? The the the, the data that is um, missing, right? You know, making sure you get those white spaces out of those Excel spreadsheets and stuff, right? Because at the end of the day, when you present this and you know that Tableau, whatever it is, any visualization, if you're presenting data, right, you know, you're presenting the data somebody's given to you, maybe from a database, or you might have ingested it in yourself. But if it's bad data, you still got to filter all that stuff out and make sure that it's clean data that's being presented, or else you're giving uh, bad information or bad data, you're making bad decisions. Uh, but I never said that. Um, data visualization was that important to me, right? To try to figure out, right? It's only been over the past, I've been doing data science probably for about maybe eight to 10 years, right? And I, uh, even every part of it, every stage, right? 
And I would always say, even throughout my doctorate degree, right? <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, we had a data visualization course. I'm like, oh yeah, just Tableau, blah, blah, all these different things. You just use it, just talk about it. I never understood how important that piece is, right? That's like the final piece of the puzzle. That's right. And if you do not put energy into that, right? You need to put, if not, more energy than everything. You need to put the, that energy right there. You need to put, it's equal, at least on the equal playing field as every other piece, you know? And I didn't realize that until probably about three to five years ago, man. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're focusing in and doing something like that, focusing in on, on data visualization because a lot of people don't really do that as much as they should. Yeah, and that's why um, I'm, I'm, I've, got, I've got this, I'm on a mission where it's the, uh, in, the in the designer world, um, uh, there's an annual conference, UXPA, I guess this is a plug, um, uh, of user experience professionals. Um, I teach an annual class there most years where it's about data visualization. And I want there to be more designers who get into this kind of stuff because a lot of them aren't into the data science side like like you are where you you know where they have where they're very comfortable with data and algorithm and it, you know what what's a variable and what is a column and the different types of numbers and the different types of scale they're not people aren't comfortable with that so we miss out on a lot of folks who are good at design thinking they don't get into the design the the data side of often and in fact in a lot of those uh courses i end up teaching lately about data thinking. So there's, I think mm. there's design thinking, but there's also data thinking. Like, so for example, uh, you're, uh, if you work for a company that's building a, a product and it collects data in a certain way. The data that you want doesn't exist because it's not collected in that way. It's not calculated yet. And sometimes you have to think about, well, we do have, we are collecting this metric and it's just like, we're not, we're not dividing it by anything. So like, imagine if you were collecting data, like um, uh, how many people have come to the store? Like, like let's say you're a store owner um, mm -hmm. and it logs when a new shopper comes into the store. Mm -hmm. But let's say it doesn't give you how many people per day or how many people per week or per, how many people per month or year. It just gives you a count of how many people have ever come into the store. And it's just mm -hmm. an ever growing number. Well, that's gonna be useless to people. But it's a start, you know, once you talk to the engineers, you're like, okay, we're collecting that data. Well, mm -hmm. can we divide it by day? Like, like take yeah. <laughs> right? the number at the beginning of the day, the number at the end, you know, uh -huh. compute that and then just say like, this is how many per day. And then, so then that, that takes a certain level of like thinking about the data and what's going on back there. And sometimes you have to work with the engineers to say like, okay, you're collecting this already. I know you don't have this metric, but how much... Um, would it be a heavy lift to build it so that we can get this data too? Because that would be really awesome if we could present this to the users. Is that possible? Right. Can we do that? As a, so that's... And they probably don't even idea. realize how, how that stuff is possible. It's just they're not thinking they're about it. They're not thinking collecting. about it. They're not thinking yeah. about it. Yeah, it's like open your mind, right? You know, to, to think. But, you know, is is honestly, I would say that creativity has been a big part in my way of thinking, right? And I had to understand how to be more creative with how to ask the right questions to myself, right? When when starting a company, thinking about data, right? You're, you have this end goal, this end project that you're trying to do, right? Am I collecting all the right data? Because sometimes 
there's data that needs to be collected. Like, like people think, right? I'm just they have one way of thinking, right? Let me connect, let me let me collect this one thing, right? Or maybe these multiple roles, right? That's great. But they don't understand how collecting one data set and another data set can actually give you, you know, your final solution, right? So combining some things, it might not be important separately, but sometimes combining, right, two different data points can give you exactly what you need, right, going forward. So, yeah, man, people don't think, people don't think like that a lot of time, you know. So I do, I do want to highlight, right, you know, when we talked about UX, Right, we talked about usability, you know, in there we talked about data visualization, right? You know, so, uh, so I want to get into um, everybody knows I like to end it with some type of summary or t- some type of dope nugget, right? You know, Jim, you know, so after hearing this conversation, right, you know, um, in my eyes, I think two important things to understand one is data viz, you know, is for that human perception standpoint, right? Think like the person, the the end user, the consumer, right? The person that is on the other end. I like the fact that you say user, user, right? You know, versus that uh, that buyer persona. Um, and also, I want to I, I want to highlight right patience. You know, patience is important, right? Understanding the person that you're working with, and at the end of the day, the, the how the visualization piece is going to come to light. Don't rush it, right? Patience is important. You know? Is it? Is there anything that you want to share with the audience as a summarization? I would say um, that uh, remember that the user is uh, is the kind of end goal usually in the in a lot of the stuff that you're thinking about in data viz the screen or the graph is not the end result it's the person who's on the other side perceiving that and able to make decisions with it. Great, great point, man. Great point. You know, well, Thomas, I appreciate you being on. I like to play this game. Everybody knows what's called overrated, underrated. At the end. Um, basically, I asked you a series of topics. You can decide whether it's overrated, underrated, or right where it needs to be. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. The printer. The printer. Yes. Ooh, that's a tough one because <laughs> printers usually suck. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I guess I guess I'm gonna have to say though, underrated because I like the physical copies. I think that's important. Oh, you do? Oh, man. You know, that's the first I heard that from like a technologist, right? You haven't heard that in a while. It is. <laughs> All right. All right. Snow. Snow is, because oh, people do love snow in the, in the, so it's hard to say it's overrated. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you, though? I, for, 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 for me, for me, man, I like snow. I like snow, mm-hmm. so I'm going to have to say underrated. I don't get it out there in Houston, right? You know, we don't. We don't. I grew up partly in Boston, so we got it all the time. Oh, so you got snow out yeah. there, right? Right, right, right? Yeah, in Houston. No. <laughs> all right. Next one. Brunch. Brunch is properly rated. I, I think I have to okay. go underrated. I have to pick one. Brunch is awesome. I, I I agree. I agree. All right. I'm doing this for Houston because they said that this is popular. Tacos. Tacos are. <laughs> I can't call them overrated because ta- tacos are awesome. I I'm gonna have to still go with underrated. I'm gonna have to go with underrated. Okay, okay, you're, okay. You're picking a lot of good things here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, one more. Titanic. 
the Titanic movie. Probably overrated. I, I agree, man. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say the first time I saw it, you know, I'm a big Leonardo DiCaprio fan. You know, I like, I think he's a good actor, and I was like, okay, you know, it's cool, you know. But that was younger generation Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, but you know, after that, I was like, all right. I, I think uh, I talked to somebody else. They said something that was important to me. I was like, oh, the the or that resonated with me that the mute the song, the Celine Dion Dion song, right. or whatever, is actually something that continues on that keeps it going right you know that's true that's true that's true it became bigger yeah than yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right well one more thing nasa johnson space center oh so, man i think that nasa is underrated so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna even add to that uh -huh. spacex overrated nasa underrated oh my goodness Oh man! Oh man! I okay. love space. I think SpaceX is doing great things, uh -huh. but I think people we need we need scientific exploration. We can't just have uh, we can't just have egotistical ambitions, right? <laughs> rich space people. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I'm with you. All right. Okay. Hey, look. Hey, look, Thomas. Man, it's been great, man. You've been great. Really you, know, um, thank you for listening to Data's My Science podcast, audience. This is your host, Dapper Data. This is a show that makes data your passion. Thomas, again, I appreciate you being on. Where can they reach Likewise. you at if they if they want to uh, to get in touch with you? And are you promoting anything? I'm not promoting anything right now, but 3leaf.consulting is my website, 3leaf, number 3leaf.consulting. And uh, you, if, otherwise, if you're a professional, find me on LinkedIn, uh, uh, Thomas Watkins, or find three leaf method on uh instagram is how you can also connect with me all right all right thank you an audience you know that you can reach me at mr dapper date on any one of the social media platforms definitely hit, hit me on linkedin i'm always on there um but 81 twitter facebook you name it um and definitely look out for my book coming out talking about social media analytics and how i can help you out for that um it's actually already out but i'm doing another version so just go ahead and ping me if you need me uh all right love you all peace Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion with your host, Dapper Data.